August 2020, soldiers in Mali led by Colonel Asimi Goita overthrew President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita. That followed protests to condemn Keita's failure to stop attacks by armed groups linked to Al-Qaeda and ISIL in the Sahel region. In response, Mali's former colonial rulers France temporarily suspended its joint military operations. An interim civilian government was created but Colonel Goita led a second military takeover last May. Four months later, with reports of Mali hiring mercenaries from Russia, the French defence minister warned Mali against dealing with Russian private security group Wagner. As relations with France worsened, Mali appeared to boost ties with Russia, saying it was a diplomatic effort to diversify foreign policy. Earlier this year, the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, imposed an embargo on Mali for its failure to hold elections. Mali expelled the French ambassador before France announced the withdrawal of military forces after nearly 10 years of confrontation in the Sahel. So what's next for relations between Mali and France? And with European forces gone, is Colonel Goita aiming to stay in power? Mali's foreign minister, Abdoulaye Diop, talks to Al Jazeera. Mr. Minister, welcome to Al Jazeera. Five African countries, Mr. Minister, have witnessed last year coup d'etat that uh, have affected the political and security situations in these countries, where the Peace and Security Council of the African Union have also suspended the membership of these countries. How could you evaluate these coup d'etat in the African continent? Thank you, Jalal, for your question. Yes, I think the return of the coups in many African countries is a source of big concern to all of us, including me coming from Mali, where a coup occurs. Uh, but also this is a wake-up call for all of us because it means that we have also uh, selective emotions. When we have coups, we have condemnations, we send missions, we have uh, all sorts of meetings in the countries, but less is done when is uh, time to do the prevention, when we have uh, deficiencies in terms of uh, governance issues in our countries. We have seen in many countries uh, the change of constitutions, uh, leaders requesting for third term. Uh, we have also many governance weaknesses which occur. So we have seen many alerts uh, when people are, are in the brink of uh, going down in terms of really violence and all these things. I think this is the time where I think the international community should mobilize, have a surge in diplomacy, interact with countries, but less is done to prevent the coups. But when it occurs, it means that we are working more to address the effect and not the root causes. I think, in my view, the most important is to invest more in the governance issues, in the prevention, and to make sure that when countries are going through problems, that uh, we should organize ourselves at the regional level, as well as, as, well as at the as an international level, to be with the countries and to assist them. This is where I see problem. In many countries, you see people now uploading the coups. It's because there is uh, this uh, anger in our population, that uh, people have not been listening to their concerns. That's why also they are even uploading the military, even though we know uh, the military itself is not a solution. But we need really to look at the root causes 
of the problem of our country to invest more in the prevention, also to end these double standards. Because people condemn the military coups, but what about the civilian coups? What about the change of the constitution? So we have to be coherent. We have also to make sure that double standard is a stop so that the international community itself uh, have the credibility, but also address the issues more seriously than to just say, when there is a coup, let us just go. We organize election, and we are again few years down the road into the square one. Mentioning the change, there was a question, or there's a question regarding the achievements of the current authorities in Mali. Some European leaders say that Mali is uh, about to make some political losses. What do you think, uh, Mr. Menaces, and what are your achievements? Uh, the first element is uh, we are more asserting the sovereignty of Mali and the capacity of its government and its people to devise its own policies. We have seen in the past, it's more about foreign powers, international community making decisions for Malians. So for this time, Malians want to be the owner of their own destiny. They want to make those decisions in the sovereign manner as a sovereign state. Uh, the, the, the second element is on the security front. If you're asking what these authorities have achieved, uh, in the past seven months, we have invested more in the military capacities of the country more than in the past 15 years. Now we are seeing the result. Uh, in Mali, for instance, for the past uh, two, three months, uh, more than 1,000 uh, uh, terrorists has been neutralized. Uh, for the past uh, three, four weeks, we brought back to their homes more than 15,000 the internally displayed display people. So if we have more opportunity, we have to make sure that uh, the state authority is returning back, that uh, people are going back to their homes, then we can create more condition to have elections to take place. If I just take the security element, but I think what is more important really to assert the sovereignty of the country which has been denied, to hear the voices of our young children and people who are on the street demonstrating that Mali's voice and ability to devise its own policy should be respected. On the other hand, there's a sort of a lost trust with some African institutions and with the international community. They say that you did not fulfill your pledges, like when you say you will hand the power to civilians after 18 months, but this did not happen. There will be no elections, as said before uh, on February uh, 28th either. That's why they say you are just buying time when it comes to fulfilling your pledges, because either you or the military coup want to stay in power and in control. What can you say, Mr. Minister? My response is not to say the military wants really to stay in power, just to enjoy the power. Uh, the commitment of my country to return to the constitutional order and the commitment of President Goita have not changed. What we have missed is the deadline to realize it. Yes, it's true that uh, we have a bid with the international community and ECOWAS to have an 18-month transition, but uh, you know it's not just a quiet river, a transition. Unexpected events have occurred. We have completely changed because uh, down the road, 10 months after, after the be beginning of the transition period, we have significant clashes and dysfunctionality at the head of the state between the prime minister, the civilian prime minister, and the pre civilian president and the vice president, who is a military, and uh, this has led 
because of also of the foreign interference to try to to marginalize the role of the military in the transition. It could have led to military confrontation in the country. It has been avoided. So this is where we had what people call a second coup, which also is like you are, we are going from uh, to square one to initiate the transition process once again. This has been a major event, which have uh, certainly delayed the process. Uh, the second is the French uh, Balkan operation, which has been operating in the north, which have decided in May to stop the operation. This definitely have completely changed the plans of the government in terms of providing security throughout the country. I'm not talking about the demonstration of the civil uh, of the unions throughout the country, which have also paralyzed the country. There is a point of difference with ECOWAS, which say let's do the elections, and the elected government will apply the reforms. It it seems you want more additional five years to do the reforms and the elections. ECOWAS want way less time, way less than five years. The African Union Peace and Security Council proposed a period of 16 months for this to be done. Will you accept a maximum period of 16 months for you and for a transitional new period? What is your situation regarding this matter? All options are at this moment on the table. Yes, after the national dialogue, people have proposed uh, that the transition should be, uh, the duration of the transition should be between six, six months to five years. Of course, the majority of the delegates have requested five years. This is what uh, the government have submitted to ECOWAS, but to say this is a basis for negotiation to come up to a more appropriate and a reasonable timeline. Mali is not an ordinary and a normal country. It's a country which have been going since 2012 into a multi-dimensional crisis. This is one of the reasons we have uh, a 13,000 footprint UN mission in the country. We have the French Operation Barkhane with about 5,000 troops. We have the G5 Sahel troops. We have the Malian troops themselves, we have the Europeans. With all this involvement, we have not been able to be successful in providing security. It means that the, the situation in Mali is very complex. So we have to understand we are not trying to only organize an election in the country. We are trying to fix a problem undergoing a multifaceted crisis, security crisis, economic crisis, social crisis. So where we think there is a problem, I don't think our partners and sometimes our neighbors in the region sometimes have taken the time to listen to Marians, to understand that we have a big problem. And for that problem to be resolved, we need to look at the root causes. We need to look at the governance issues. We need to look at how to refound, because that's one of the process we say we need a refoundation of the state. We think uh, with the dialogue we are having with the partners, there could be a more robust monitoring mechanism more than we did previously. Whatever timeline would be agreed, we prefer to have maybe an independent or Malian-led uh, with the involvement of the partners to have a mechanism to ensure uh, trust with the partners and to make sure that not only us, because we have responsibility, but the international community also will have responsibility to make sure whatever is agreed also, they are also uh, fulfilling their pledges to Mali.
expansion of the French ambassador is uh, something unprecedented uh, when it comes to dealing between the Francophone countries and France. Paris considered this matter something unjustified, and this will be having bad consequences on the relations between the two countries, according to the French Foreign Minister spokesperson. Why you reach that period of time, despite France being a strategic uh, alliance, they are fighting terrorism, fighting with the Malian forces. Why reach this point? France is a truly a strategic and important partner to Mali. Uh, but for Malian, what is more important is the respect to Mali, to the Malian dignity, and to the Malian sovereignty. We have increasingly seen the French authorities since uh, the coup that happened in Mali, that they have been taking stance to Mali, which have been offensive and disrespectful in their public pronouncement, including from the French president. And who is the French foreign minister to decide about the legitimacy of the Malian government? This is up to the Malians, not up to them. Everything is not about uh, the amount that a partner is bringing at the table. If this partner is doing in a way that is patronizing, is not respectful to the Malian people and to their sovereignty. We want different type of a partnership and we want different type of engagement. Can you believe for a sovereign country we have areas in Mali where our Air Force is not allowed to fly in because the French are operating in those areas? This is our country. We should be the one to authorize anyone to fly over the Malian territory. So this is, among others, the reason that we have requested to review all the elements in these uh, defense uh, agreements to ensure that our sovereignty is respected while it gives us more room to cooperate with the partner. And this will not stop only with France. We are reviewing many of the agreements with partners where we think uh, the Malian sovereignty and the rights are not really well reflected in these, uh, in these documents. What is important for us? is uh, Mali is willing to cooperate with all partners, Europeans, US, and other partners, specifically in the security fields. But we want any relationship with our partners to be based on the sincerity, the respect of our sovereignty, and the respect of the unity of our country. If I give you one example, uh, which is uh, the case of the Danish troop that we have requested to leave as part of the Takuba operation, we think the sovereignty of Mali was not respected because we had about three steps. The first step was an agreement we have with France in about 2014 on the defense. And then there was also an exchange of letter which allowed French to invite uh, third parties to join. And the third leg is to ensure that who, which partner, whatever partner is coming, there is an annex document to this exchange of letter which require uh, formal agreement between the country that uh, we, we, that are coming and the Malian government. This step have not been fulfilled, and we thought that we couldn't have this presence to come in. America, America, and France, France in particular, say that uh, there are forces from the mercenaries in Mali now, and they are supporting the transitional. Uh, authority. Mr. Minister, do you think there's Wagner forces on the territories of Mali? Mali has nothing to do with Wagner. And we made a public statement on this matter. And uh, in November, I was in Moscow. I made also a public statement 
near my, uh, my friend and colleague, Minister Sergei Lavrov, with whom we all concur that the cooperation between Mali and Russia is a state-to-state -state cooperation. For us, uh, this issue of Wagner is uh, like a kind of smear campaign to mobilize the international community against Mali. Mali, President Goita, and the Prime Minister, we don't need any mercenary to protect uh, the Malian authorities. I refer you to the statement that was issued. I don't know if it's uh, in December or January by the Malian government. A few days later, we had a statement from the Russian Foreign Ministry, which admitted that the, this, uh, the collaboration with Russia is done through the state uh, channels. Um, so I refer you to that one, and I refer you also to the statement made by Mr. Lavrov himself in November. Uh, but I, I know this is mainly uh, because of some of the objectives of France and others, because we understand we are in the geopolitical adversarial confrontation between big powers. Uh, Mali does not want to be involved in that, because for Mali we want to diversify our partnership, we want to maintain our position to be able to work with all partners, be it Chinese, uh, Americans, Russian, or Europeans. So we want to maintain that long-standing principal position of the Malian diplomacy. We think that the big powers have the ability to resolve their own differences. Mali does not want to be at the footstep of the elephants when they are fighting among themselves. Developments uh, with uh, France uh, and reconsidering the defense agreement, do you think this will affect uh, your country in the face of terrorism as you, you name it and the organizations facing the government in Mali? What is your optimum point of view regarding this matter? We have three different layers when we talk about the security. The first should be how and what should we do uh, to empower the Malian security and defense forces to give them the ammunition, the capability, and the capacities to protect and defend the country. The second is what type of mechanism we can put at the regional level, working with our neighbors, like in the, the, the case in the G5 Sahel, to ensure that there is collaboration, because, because this is a transnational threat. No single country will have the ability to solve this on its own. This is the second layer. And the third one is what our partners can bring in. Like we have the manpower in many of our countries to wage this war. What is lacking sometimes is the technology, is the financial resources. Regarding the military and armed uh, organizations that uh, are with a jihadi background in Mali, the government said that uh, the government is ready to negotiate with those uh, people and uh, who are affiliates to ISIS uh, uh, or Nusrat al-Islam or Al-Qaeda. What do you think about this uh, project or this matter and what are you going to negotiate about? You know, in Mali, we had a, a national conference in 2017. One of the main recommendations of the conference was to, even that we had one also in 2019 as well, uh, both have um, recommended that uh, for the reconciliation 
and lasting peace in Mali, there is a need to also discuss with some of the radical groups. Um, now, uh, the point, and those who are Malians, because we have foreign fighters, but those who are Malians, because sometimes we have many of our young people in the communities who are under the influence of those groups, uh, you have two choices in this case. Either you decide that my option is only military, and I have the ability to defeat them militarily, and I have no space for compromise, or you understand that military will still continue to be a main element of our policy. But at the same time, let us give ourselves also a political space where we can bring back many of our young people who have gone through this from time for economic reasons, for many other reasons, to take them back to ensure that we have a national reconciliation in the country. Now, what is not clear, we did not devise a specific blueprint on how this dialogue will be made. It's a principal position, and I think we should try as much as possible to talk to Malians to find a lasting political solution. But even this negotiation cannot be done in the vacuum. We have a constitution. So when we start talking, we need to ensure that we are discussing in the framework of a constitution. Mali constitution, for instance, says Mali is a secular state. So whatever is being discussed, it should be done in line with this nature of Malian constitution. In case the real partners decide to stop it, to help the, uh, Ma the, uh, the army of Mali to face the organizations, who will be there? Russia, for example? In any case, Mali has the responsibility to find solution to provide security to Malians. We know we cannot do this alone but we will not accept any sort of support if we think this support or that support will not help us to provide security to Malians. If you are coming as a partner to do what we should be doing at our place, and that tomorrow when you are leaving, we are left with nothing, we don't think this is the type of partnership we are looking at. As a result of the coup d'etat, Mr. Minister, the ECOWAS, decisions represent a siege on Mali and uh, some sanctions from the West uh, against the so-called leaders of the coup in Mali. What are your economic options regarding this matter? For us, sanctions are never the solution. We oppose sanctions. Uh, and we think if sanctions were to be effective, when they impose these illegal, illegitimate, and unfair sanctions on Mali, including closing the borders of a landlocked country, which is also an humane action. But beside that, if the sanctions were to be effective, uh, two or three weeks after Mali being sanctioned, we would not have been not recorded a coup in Burkina Faso. It could have been dissuasive enough so that that will not happen. I we think if we don't, as I said in the beginning, address the root causes that leads to the coups, we'll always be wrong.
When you as a civilian official, when the authority will go to civilians because the chairman of the military council in Mali is trying to uh, consolidate his powers through some uh, matters that he asked for and requested, including, for example, cancelling the transitional vice president. Do you think uh, this means he wants to uh, be in power more time? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, if you ask me today to tell you when we'll hold election, I don't have the answer to that because this is specifically part of the discussion we are having with ECOWAS, uh, UN, AU and other partners to come to a compromise. Uh, specifically looking at the changes that have been proposed for the transition charter, I don't think this is a way uh, for President Guaita to increase his power. Because when, when you look at, at the beginning of the transition, we had 18 months transition and with ECOWAS, they struck a deal that the president should be civilian and the military should uh, hold uh, the, the vice presidency. And in this vice presidency, his prerogative was to f specifically focus on defense and security matters. Now that he is himself the president, there is no need to have a vice president in charge of the defense and security, while you have, we have also a defense and security minister. Mr. Abdullah Joub, the foreign minister, thank you very much for being with us here at Al Jazeera. Thank you, Shukran.